the Lord goes on to explain in the text we're looking at, um, starting now with verse 32 of chapter 13. If God is glorified in him, there's a little bit of doubt of whether that's part of the text or a scribe trying to make things make more sense, which it does, or whether it's part of the original text. So you'll find in many manuscripts it's in parentheses. Now, for sure, we're back to the text. And God will glorify him in himself. And God will glorify him at once. Now, how does God glorify Jesus in himself? What does that mean? You see? I'm just going to look at, make sure that the translation is, you know, whether we could get another, I could show you the way it, it develops in another way. Um, Theos doxasi afton en And soon he will glorify him. Or at once, eftis, at once. Well, St. Paul, in writing to the Romans, chapter 8, you know, says, he's talking about who can separate the second, latter part of it. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? From the love of God. You know, nakedness, sword, hunger, thirst, persecution. And um, who can condemn us? And he mentions Christ. He said, look, Christ condemn us. See, the Father, the Father first, the Father handed him over, gave him over uh, to, to, to death, you know. Well, this word, give over, you see, that, that's, a, that's the traitor word, paradidomi, to hand over. So St. Thomas says, why would Paul say that the Father handed him over? Does it mean, you know, he, he, he just withdrew his support so the soldiers could close it? Well, he, Paul, Thomas doesn't go through all this, but he's trying to figure out why could Paul say that he handed him over? Finally, he says this. The Father handed him over this way. He inspired him with such love for us that he ran to the cross. He could hardly stop himself. He loved us so much. Inspirando ei tantum amorem. See, it takes a mystic to go to a text like that. First place, you see what reading the Bible means to take it seriously. Stop. What does it mean he handed him over? Wait a second. The father is a traitor? What does it mean? No. It means he so inspired him with love that he couldn't stop it. He ran to the cross. He loved us so much and he loved the Father so much that he died for us. You see? That's what it means. And that's how he is glorified. Because, you see, the glory of God, you see, is his radiant beauty, saving presence. And in the within the Trinity is that same radiant beauty in this infinite rush of love that's eternal. Now, he's going on to tell the rest of the story. But you see, that's why we call this part of John the Book of Glory, because, you see, the, the cross is the glory of God. It's also, you know, a gruesome 
death. But what changes all that is love. Now he tells them, Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and as I told the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you the same. Now we're going to start a theme that will be uh, throughout all this discourse. We hear it so many times, we don't take it seriously, I guess. I give you a new commandment. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And uh, my Father will love you. And I will love you. And I will show myself to you. But what's the commandment, Lord? Love one another as I have loved you. Even so, you love one another. Now that's hard. Why? Well, because we're so narrow-minded, egomaniacs, and, um, and so is everybody else. Maybe not as bad as we are, but love each other. Never get discouraged. Never quit loving. Love each other. Love is so powerful. We're not going to get through life without being injured. Somehow. Somebody will injure us. Our reputation, our bodies, our minds, our position, something. Okay. Now you have a chance to show forth the glory of God. Forgive that person. Love. You see? Love one another. You see? As I loved you, even so love. Well, how did he love us? He's broken-hearted over Judas. He's going to forgive Peter. He's on his way to the cross, inspired by that love that St. Thomas talked about, for us. And you say, well, now, you see, it's not the pain that saves us. It's the love within the pain. St. Thomas, again, he, he has such great mystical insights into the Passion. He said, now, how does the Lord make satisfaction in the Passion? Like, make up for all the evil? Yes. Well, how does he do that? You know, because it hurts so much? Well, it did hurt. No. He said, we make satisfaction by offering to the offended party something of equal or greater worth than they lost in our offense. So in Adam's disobedience, God lost the love and the trust to which he had a right. Jesus on the cross gave him back that love, that trust, that obedience in a superabundant way and made satisfaction for all our sins. If we cling to Christ, we go right to heaven. He made satisfaction for all our sins. Now do you see what drives the saints? They get in on that love. And they want to be, as Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings now for you. And I make up in my body, you see, what is wanting to the suffering in my flesh for the sufferings of Christ. Somehow, we 
have to join that to make it humanly full. I've worked a lot, thought a lot about this. I'm not sure I really understand it all. I'm sure I don't understand it all. But, you see, there is a way, there's a law, that the great realities of heaven, if they're going to have effect on earth, have to be here. Let's take the Eucharist. There is our Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified body, radiant in heaven. But if that passion is going to continue to have work power on earth, it has to be here. Thus, the Eucharist. We can join right in it every morning. There he is, fixed in the act of love in which he died, irradiant in heaven, here in bread and wine. We can join that. And so, we make up in our body, you see, by being part of that act of love as it still exists on earth. Does that solve the whole question? No. Because it's too big. The only way you you can get satisfaction in your mind about this mystery only when you enter into it. You mean I got to suffer? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to go looking for it. Just entrust your life to the Lord. And you know, don't forget how Paul started this. Nin kero. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. That is so hard to figure out. Uh, but now you see, intercession is the same. Uh, and we'll see that someday when we do Romans. It says here, you see, in Romans 8, who's going to condemn us? Jesus Christ. Uh, you see, who was Father handed over for us? Who is interceding for us now? Now that intercession which Jesus Christ does in heaven has to exist on earth. It has to be in the body, the body which is the church. That's what Paul means earlier when he says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit prays in us with unutterable groanings. What has the Spirit done? He has placed in us that intercession that Jesus is making in heaven so that we're interceding in union with, in rhythm with, we're interceding. Christ is interceding in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that his intercession has a, a this world dimension again and can have power in this world. So that's what he's saying, you see. Love one another. My love, let it be in you. I can remember, I've told you the story a lot. I don't have time to tell you the whole story again, but at a wedding where the, the couple had come on a pilgrimage. Uh, they're Christians, Quebecois. They'd given up on Christianity. They were in India. They came to Jerusalem where I was. And uh, this French, they were French-speaking. This French community there, Les Beatitudes, took care of them. And after a few months, they were ready to be received back into the church and married. So there was a party. And one of the people that came to the party, I invited her, was an Israeli woman, a Sabra, born there. And uh, so she was at the party after she went to the ceremony, and then she was at the party. And, you know, it was, you know, wooden tables with paper tablecloths and wine and cheese and stuff. You know, it wasn't, it was great. And they, who only owned dungarees and t-shirts, were dressed to kill. 
both the man and the woman. So she said to me, who's paying for all this? I said, the community. She said, yeah. I said, yeah. She said, they really love them, don't they? See how they love one another. The love of Christ existing here on earth impacted that woman. She saw it. So that's what he's saying here, you see? Now, Simon Peter speaks up and says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me hereafter. Predicting his own death, Peter's death. Simon Peter said to him, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. There's Peter again, overshooting the mark. Jesus answered, with great compassion, but great direct truth. You will lay down your life for me? Amen, I tell you. The cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, you got a lot to learn. But that comes out of love that Jesus says that, you know. And so now we have these two betrayals. One already taking place, one prophesied. And there they are. Which one do you want to be? Repent for sin. No matter how big it is, repent. I've told you this Lots of times, but I love it. Somebody once said to Therese of Yusuf, who, according to her confessor on her deathbed, said she never committed a mortal sin in her life. And she said, somebody asked her, what would you do if you committed a really big, bad sin? She said, I'd run to the Father. Where else could I go? Now, there is a theologian. You see? And so, Peter repented. And he's a saint. He's the first pope. And according to the preface we have for the apostles, from his place in heaven, he guides us still. And it's on that note that chapter 13 ends. And now we will begin next time with the discourses.